I probably have this sermon and maybe one or two more, and that's it. But I want to deal with tonight about being ready for the Lord's coming, but I really want to focus on this word tonight, intimacy with God. Intimacy, that's the word. And this is a really um, sobering sermon tonight, I believe. But how many guys want to be ready for when he comes seriously? And you, you really want to know what the Bible says for yourself, and you really want to have truth in your life? Amen? I feel that way. I want to know what the Bible says. I want to know the truth. I want to be ready. Even if sometimes the truth is a little hard to hear, I still I love the truth. I love the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So if this convicts you tonight, thank, thank the Holy Spirit. You know, I used to sit at Brownsville, and, I, man, I'd give my life to Christ. I was, I was saved and everything, but, man, I would sit there squirming and feel like I need to go get saved all over again and over again and next service again. And, you know, it's just, it was such a conviction. And I love that about the Holy Spirit. You need to be in a church where you don't always feel comfortable all the time because the Holy Spirit's working on you and the Holy Spirit is stepping on some toes, amen? <laughs> well, anyway, it may be that tonight for some, I don't know. But that's what we're gonna look at, the word intimacy. Or so I'm gonna begin this with the parable of the foolish and wise virgins and then I'm gonna end this sermon with the Jewish wedding. And so it's all gonna make sense, it's all gonna tie in but let me just, you know, preface this sermon like this. When God made mankind, he put man in the garden for this reason. He wanted fellowship. He wanted a family. I want everybody to really realize that, that God had a lot of angels, okay? But when God made man, he wanted a family. He wanted people to have a relationship with. That's the whole reason why he even created mankind in the first place. And really the reason why he hasn't given up on mankind. God in his infinite mercy, you know, has been so patient with humanity for the last 6,000 years since Adam's fall. I'm gonna tell you, there was a time that God was so grieved when he flooded the earth. The Bible talked about how grieved he was that he made man. And mankind has definitely tried God's patience, but God loves us and he's wanting a family. So amongst the peoples of the earth, God is calling unto people to repent of their sin, to accept his son and to come to him and have a relationship. That's really what he's after. And I realize that when we first get saved, it's very healthy. It needs to be this way that we have like this fear of God. We have a a healthy fear like you know I don't want to go to hell I realize that I've been a sinner and I'm on my way to hell and I realize that and I need to repent all that that's healthy but God is wanting that to gradually change because he's wanting us to fall in love with him and that no longer are we not sinning just just because well, I don't want to go to hell but it's like we're not sinning because we love him and Jesus said you know if you love me you'll keep my commandments it's it's out of this relationship and that's where God wants it to get to you know I can say now I don't go out and sin and it's not because of a fear of going to hell even though that's there's always needs to be a healthy a healthy fear of God that we keep okay but it's more based on I don't want to mess up the relationship I don't want anything to be in between me and the Lord I don't want my prayers hindered I don't want his presence to lift off my life amen I want him to be near 
And sin, sin can really drive a wedge between us and him. So that's kind of where I'm coming from with all this. So this is a, a little bit different in this series, but it's definitely end time uh, prophetic based because the coming of the Lord is near. I really believe it, it would surprise me if, it's, if the rapture doesn't happen in my lifetime. It would very much surprise me if it doesn't happen before too terribly long. We are really, truly that close to his coming. All right, so with that said, let's look at this parable. This is kind of a bunch of information, but let me say this too. It's one thing to hear the word, and it's an entirely different thing to do the word, to apply the word. James says that there's hearers and there's doers. So tonight, as I give you this, it's one thing to hear this, but it's an entirely different thing if you leave out of here and go home and take your notes. You've written down some notes. You've, you take it into your prayer closet, and you really begin to apply it to your life. That's what I pray you'll do, because if you'll do that, I believe the information in this sermon could radically change your life. It can change the atmosphere in your home. It can change your family, and it can draw you into a relationship with the Lord that you previously didn't have. And so that's what I'm going for tonight. But we've got to apply it. And let that be a point of prayer in all of our lives that we're not just hearers, but we're doers. I wonder how many people go to church and they hear sermons and hear sermons and they go out and they don't really, you know, change their lifestyle to line up with anything they hear. And so really the word of God, I wouldn't say it's wasted on them, but it doesn't have the impact in their life that it really could have if they would really apply it. All right, so let's read this. Uh, Matthew 25, everything's in the notes. You can follow along. It says, the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to 10 virgins. Now, I'm gonna stop as I go and explain some things, but 10 virgins, all 10 were virgins. These were God's people. You understand that? This isn't five virgins and five harlots. These are all 10 speaking of God's people. He said, they took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. So all they had was the little bit of oil that was in their lamp, but you know it's going to run out. But the wise not only had the lamp and they had oil in the lamp, but they also took oil in a flask with them, had extra oil. Verse five, now while the bridegroom was delaying, how many knows 2,000 years since, oh, that's a little delay, right? While the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. And let me say sleeping has to do with prayerlessness, people not praying like they should. But, here's verse 6, but at midnight, and how many of y'all knows that it seems like we're getting close to the midnight hour, okay? But at midnight, there was a shout, behold the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. So they cut off that, that burnt extra piece off of the wick. They cut it, they trimmed the wick. They had the oil that was already in their lamp there and they were trying to get the fire burning again. But the foolish said to the wise, hey, look, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. <laughs> but the wise answered, no, there's not gonna be enough for you and me as well. So go, at, go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourself. 
And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, uh oh, and those who were ready went in to meet him to what? The wedding feast. And the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Now, I want you to take notice of that word know because it means intimacy. I, I did not know you. And he says in verse 13, be on your alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. This is an obvious reference of the Lord's coming and to catch away his bride. Okay. Then how many times did Jesus use that reference? You don't know the day nor the hour to be ready. Be alert. How is it that we're alert? I do not believe it has to do with just a preacher getting up preaching on the end times and we all know it's the end times. That's fine. I believe to be ready is that it has to do with our prayer lives, that we are intimate with him. We're spending time with him. He told us over and over, watch and pray. And in the Bible, to watch means to pray because there was people that would stay up throughout the night there were guards, there were military people that would keep watch during the night. And it was prophetic about intercessors, but it has to do with prayer. The way that we keep watch is we're praying and spending time with him, okay? And then here's the parallel in Revelation 4.1. It says, after these things, I looked up and behold a door standing open in heaven. What did we just read in this other uh, parable? He said the door was shut, right? He said, I saw a door open in heaven and the first voice which I had heard like the sound of a trumpet. Where do we read about a, a mighty shofar blast? The coming of the Lord, right? And the voice said to him, come up here. So that's a, a reference to being called up, caught up, the bride being caught up, those that have made themselves ready. I want to be ready for when this happens. I want you to be ready when this happens. But this is one of those things where there's going to be God's people out there, 10 virgins representing all of God's people out there, those that are truly his. But it shows us in the scripture, this is a serious warning, that foolish virgins, believe it or not, half of them, foolish virgins were not actually ready when he came. They fell asleep and they didn't get extra oil. Has anybody really ever thought about this? And Jesus didn't say there was nine wise and one foolish. To me, this is a very sobering scripture. And it makes me think about, okay, there's other scriptures. Like, for example, the Bible says, in the latter days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And so we know that God is pouring out his spirit in a major way in these last times, in a major, major way. And those of us that's had the opportunity, I believe River of Life has, has a revival anointing of fresh oil. He'll praise God for what he's doing. But I remember back before River of Life when, when I was just, um, being used of the Lord in different ways, but I remember the great revivals that happened in the 90s. And what that was, something began in the late 80s, it began in Argentina, the great Argentine revival, and of course, it swept into Toronto. You know, Rodney brought some revival here to America, but when Brownsville exploded in revival, it was intense. But God was sending extra oil. Now, here's, here's the foolish and the wise virgins right here. The foolish virgins look at revival and they have any of these different responses. Some of them just say, well, you know, I don't really need to go all the way over there and receive anything from God. If God wants to touch me, touch me here. 
There's a word for that. It's called pride. That's a foolish virgin that's too lazy to go get the extra oil God's pouring out. And then there's those that look at revival and they see people falling and laughing and crying and whatever else and they say, well, that's of the devil. I don't want nothing to do with that. That's a foolish virgin that doesn't know the difference between the Holy Ghost and the devil. But then there's the wise virgins that say, you know what? God's pouring out his spirit in these last days and I'm hungry for more of him and if I have to drive somewhere, I'll go, but I'm gonna go where God's pouring out his spirit and I'm gonna get filled with extra oil. I'm hungry. That's a wise virgin. But you guys know as well as I do that the body of Christ is pretty much split over that issue right there, isn't it? But we need it. We need this extra oil in these last days. We need the fresh anointing on our lives. That's why I take the time at the end of services to pray with people and let people soak in God's presence and get touched by God. And you know, a lot of, a lot of people are getting away from that and have for a while now since the 90s. I go to conferences and meetings. To be honest, I'm kind of grieved because there's such a lack of people praying for people anymore man back in the 90s every time you went to a service of any kind of was spirit filled people were all over the place hit by the power of god what happened i mean god didn't die the holy spirit still the holy spirit but something happened where people are not pressing in like they used to or the leadership isn't taking the time to pray i don't know but it makes me sad because i think there needs to be this move of god and we need to make room for the holy spirit to come in power and touch people all right. So let me go through just a couple things that I believe will help you be ready for the coming of the Lord. Everybody say, be ready. How many of you guys want to be ready? That's, that's what's about tonight. I want to be ready when he comes. All right, the first thing is intimacy with him. There's a phrase in the Bible in Psalm 42 which says, deep calling unto deep. I'm going to try to explain this. It's really powerful. How many of you guys remember Catherine Coleman? All right. She really had an impact on my life about this teaching because I, reading her books on prayer. But anyway, she talked about how when she prayed, there'd be a point in time that she would just kind of lay back and, and rest in God's presence and soak in his presence. And she said it was in that place that there was a, a fresh anointing. There was a, a touch from God. In fact... I don't remember who all, because I did a lot of study on this back in the 90s, so it's been a while. But there was, there was somebody that referenced that they called it the prayer of silence, the prayer of stillness. Benny Hinn said that that type of praying is the place that a great anointing comes out of. So what am I referring to? I'm referring to deep calling unto deep. Whenever we pray or whenever we come to church, and we worship, we have to get past our flesh. How many guys knows whenever you first go in to pray or you first come into church and start worshiping, there's that flesh nature that doesn't always feel like doing stuff of God, amen? All right, so we all gotta get past the flesh. Then, that's just your first problem. Then you gotta get past your own soul area. That's your mind. You see, you're worshiping God and your mind starts wandering off to, you know, Taco Bell, I'm hungry, or this... I need to go do this. I forgot to change that. I needed, and your mind's trying to wonder, and you got to get past even your own soul area 
where now your mind is, is focused on the Lord. But then you get past your own soul and you get to where you're, what the Bible refers to in Revelation chapter one, John said, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. And you get in the spirit and you guys that are full gospel people know exactly what I'm talking about. You get past the flesh, you get past your own personality, your own mind. And now it's like your spirit's ignited with fire and you're, you're in the presence of God. That is the place where deep begins to call into deep because what's happening is the deep is your spirit calling out to the spirit of God, deep calling unto deep. And in essence, that is at least in part what the, some of the intercessors tonight, you, you got past your flesh, past your soul, and you were praying in the spirit. It was spirit to spirit. Your spirit was crying out to the Holy Spirit. Your spirit was crying out to God. It was deep calling unto deep. This is the place where, you know, you worship and you pray and you get in God's presence and the presence of God comes. And this is where you can begin to stop talking all the time. <laughs> and, you know, you may intercede like the intercessors doing, but there's a place in time where you kind of stop and you just soak in his presence. And some of you guys know that, that really in reality, we are like sponges. You soak up God's presence like a sponge. But we've got to continually have that in our lives because we leak. And God's made us where we have to totally depend on him. I mean, there's a fresh, you need a fresh infilling of the spirit on a very frequent basis. I long for it daily. Amen. So let me just read this scripture in this is something that I believe will help us to be ready for the Lord's coming, intimacy with him, that we learn how to get into his presence and then stay. How many people will finally get into the presence of God? They're there for five minutes and then they're gone. How many people get touched by God? They're on the floor, they're soaking for just a few minutes, bounce up and then they're doing something else. Man, it's like, I remember when revival, this is just a perfect story for this. Revival broke out in Brownsville because I know this story really well. And the power of God came. It was on a Sunday and they were there from 12 to about four in the afternoon and nobody could move. I mean, they were just under the power of God. And um, finally, John Kilpatrick got up off the floor and he was hungry. He said, we got to go, you know, get something to eat because I've got to be back in just two hours. And he goes up to his wife and his wife was basically crying and said, I don't want to leave. She said, I've been praying for him to come. He's finally come. I don't want to leave. So he let her stay, and he, you know, he had to go get ready for the night service. And then they were there from that night till all hours of the night. I mean, there was many services that the sun came up because they were there so late, you know. But it's that hunger. So let me read this. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you. How many people can say that deep within you, there is a hunger for more of God. Seriously, think about it for a minute. There's something within you deep down that is crying out for more of him. That is what this scripture is saying. As the deer pants for water, a deer is desperate for water. As, they, as they're desperate, my soul, Lord, pants for you. I cry out to you. My soul thirsts, verse 2, for the living God. 
When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where's your God? These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me for I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving and the multitude keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. How many of his presence helps us, strengthens us? Verse six, O my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from the Mount of Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. I'm telling you, you can experience the presence of God in the daytime in your personal prayer life. You can experience, you can experience it in your home, but there's got to be a hunger. And then he says right here, and his song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. So in the night, while you sleep on your bed, you can have God's presence. I'm saying this because I'm hoping that this will stir up a hunger and a desperation in people. Did you know that you can have the presence of God that's here tonight can be in your home? This presence can be in your prayer life. This presence can envelop you as you sleep on your bed at night. But see, before we have verse 7, we've got to have verse 1 where it says, as the deer pants for the water, my soul thirsts you. There's got to be a desperate hunger for more of God that the Bible says when you seek him with all your heart, you'll find him. There has to be first that hunger. And so somebody says, well, how do I get that hunger? Ask him, okay? He said, if you'll pray according to my will, I'll hear you and I'll do it. Listen, if we pray for us to be hungry for more of God, how many knows that's God's will? So there's no doubt that he's going to hear and answer that prayer. So ask him to put a hunger in you for more of him. But out of that desperate hunger for God comes a longing, a deep calling unto deep. So it'll begin like you're crying out, I'm so hungry for you, Lord. Where are you? I'm desperate for you. And then he'll respond and his presence will come in your life. And I'm telling you, you can get to the place in your prayer life, some days are easier to pray than others. That's normal. But you can get in your prayer life where the presence of God can come and you're just soaking in his presence. And that right there, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to ask him for everything in the world. You're just with him. And that right there is the place where deep is calling unto deep. The spirit of God is filling your spirit. There's a communion there that's deeper than words. And I believe, you know, little Samuel, uh, Eli had the wisdom to have him lay by the ark at night. Remember that? And he would lay there by the ark of the covenant in the presence of God and sleep in that glory. And Eli had the wisdom to know that Samuel needed that. And in that place, as he was soaking in the glory of God, little Samuel heard God's voice for the first time. And his little prophetic ministry was birthed right there, wasn't it? But as he grew older, he became one of the mightiest men of God in Israel's history. He was the last judge of Israel and the one that anointed the kings and set him in place. But I believe that all of that was birthed when he was soaking in God's presence by the ark. So the first thing is intimacy, that we seek a place with God 
where it's deep calling unto deep, where his waterfalls of his presence pour over us. You know, how many of you guys have been, let's just take it like this, have been at church and you got prayer and, and you were on the ground or whatever, hit by the power, and you felt the glory of God come on you so strong like a blanket. How many of you guys have felt that? Okay, pretty much everybody. There's this presence of God. Listen, that right there, you can have that in your personal prayer life. You can have that at home. How many of you guys would say there's a hunger in me for more of the Lord's presence in my life? All right, that's the first thing. God's looking for intimacy. He's looking for a relationship. The second thing is the wedding garments. I don't have a picture on here, but if you're taking notes, you write this down. You can look up Aaron the high priestly garments, the high priestly garments of Aaron. And there's actually a picture here. I know live streamers can't see it, but there's a picture here on the wall if you need to look at that. But these are the wedding garments. Let me just read this parable to you and then I'll explain it as we go. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now we all know that Jesus is, there's a wedding feast being prepared right now for jesus the son of god okay there is a wedding feast that is being made ready and i want to be there did you know not everybody's going to be at this wedding feast okay verse three he sent out it's talking about god the father he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast and they were unwilling to come again he sent out other slaves saying tell those who have been invited behold i have prepared my dinner my oxen and fat and livestock have been butchered and everything's ready come to the wedding feast but they paid no attention and went their way out to his own farm and other to his business and the rest of them seized the slaves and mistreated and killed them and the king was enraged you know what this is speaking of god the father sent the prophets to israel and israel would not listen to the prophets they ignored the prophets and they even killed some of the prophets and it enraged the king So the king here, speaking of God the Father, was enraged and he sent out his armies to destroy those murderers and set fire to their city. And you guys know as well as I do that God allowed um, the temple to be destroyed in 70 AD and the Jews to be scattered. All right, verse eight, then he said to his slaves, the wedding is, is ready, but those who are invited are not worthy. Go therefore to the highways and all those that are out there invite to the wedding feast. So the slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all that they found, both good and evil. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. You know what that is? The last 2,000 years, God has sent out his people to, to call out to the highways and byways and say, come to the Lord. Accept him as your savior. Come into the kingdom. Calling out to every place we can go around the world. Verse 11. But the king came in, this is very interesting, and looked over the dinner guest and saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. This had to be awkward, right? And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot and throw him out into outer darkness in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Judgment, verse 14, for many are called, but few are chosen. Let's just stop there for a second. Many are called, but few are chosen. It's just like the wise and foolish virgins. All 10 of them were called, but only five were chosen. Only five were ready. Are y'all seeing what I'm saying? 
The wedding garments are the priestly garments. Do you know why priests even had garments to begin with? The garments had to do with their worship and their prayer, their ministry to God, their worship to God, their prayer, their spending time in his presence. That's what the priestly ministry was all about. The priestly garments were this. As you can see in the picture there, there were a layer of white. This had to do with righteousness. There was a white turban on the head. There was a robe of righteousness, okay, that went all the way down to their ankles and their um, wrist. And underneath, you can't see it, but there was white undergarments that were like pajama bottoms that were underneath called the breeches. But this was the layer of white. And that has to do with salvation when we accept Christ as our Savior. That's the garments of salvation and the robe of righteousness. Okay, that's salvation. The blue garment is that blue tunic you can see there. It went on top of that. And the bottom of that blue garment had bells and pomegranates. And so when they would walk, you would hear those bells chime. And it had a reinforced neck area that you couldn't rip it easily at all. And that has to do with the clothing of power from on high, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Where now, you, Jesus said in Acts 1.8, he said, wait in Jerusalem till you be clothed with power from on high right all right in luke 24 49 i believe it was he said i will send the promise of the spirit and there will be an endowment a clothing of power this is the baptism in the holy spirit where tongues your prayer life come and the gifts are activated okay that's the clothing of power the third garment is gold it's the golden ephod and that had the the breast piece on it that had the 12 tribes over the heart because you're supposed to pray for god's people that's what it represents but it was a layer of gold. You know what that is? That's the glory of God, his manifest presence. His glory, his manifest presence will be upon his people. In fact, Isaiah 60 says in the latter days, it's prophetic. It says that there'll be thick darkness on the earth, but the glory will arise and shine on God's people. So the wedding garments have to do with this. First off, you gotta be saved, all right, and made righteous but then you need to be clothed with power and you need the glory of God to settle upon your life. That's the wedding garments. And even to this day in Jewish weddings, there's white, there's blue, and there's gold ornaments and things that are all represented in it. All right. But see, many are called, but few are chosen. See, our response has got to be this. Lord, I want to be those that respond to the call. That when the Holy Spirit is nudging me to pray and to be intimate with God, to go get alone with God, I'm going to respond. I want to hear sermons like this tonight, and I want to respond. I want to have these wedding garments on my life, and I don't want them dirty when the Lord comes. Which leads me to the next point. In Jude, verse 23, it says, Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And some have mercy mixed with fear. But it says this, Hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Did you know that some people may have the wedding garments, but they're defiled because of things they're doing? They're mixed up in pornography or whatever, and, and they're defiling their garments. And not only that, Ephesians 5.27 says to present her, speaking of the church, the bride, a radiant church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So the Lord is looking for a bride who has made herself ready, whose garments are without spot or blemish. I don't want the filth of this world on my garments. 
people don't understand in today's church i guess that things have been dumbed down to where they're comfortable going out hanging out in bars and clubs listen they're defiling their garments i'm just telling you that they are and they're going to movies they shouldn't be seeing and watching things on television and it's you know people get naked having sex and occult stuff and everything else and you know what it's defiling their garments it's defiling their home and they don't understand how much this is affecting them all right when the lord is calling unto us i want to be the one that is one of the wise virgins that says lord i want to pursue intimacy with you i want to know you for myself i want extra oil in my life and i want to have on the wedding garments but i also want them to be clean and i don't want to be playing games when the lord comes and the bridegroom the the blast of the shofar the archangel shouts it's time to go and you look down you don't have extra oil your garments are soiled and dirty and you miss the catching away don't think it can't happen it clearly says that there were people that were left back the door shut and they were saying lord what about me many are called but few are chosen i want to be chosen by the lord when it's time and let me go back up here i wrote this down in revelation 17 14 it says these will wage war against the lamb and the lamb will overcome them because he's lord of lords and king of kings and those who are with him look at this they were called chosen and faithful i don't know about you but i want the lord to call unto me but i want to be chosen and then once i am chosen i want to be faithful how many people get the stupidest things offend them they get out of church they get away from god they're in sin they're bitter you know they allow the most petty ridiculous things the pastor didn't shake my hand somebody in the church i'm being listen you can laugh but it happens all the time somebody gave me a dirty look in church somebody sat in my seat somebody parked in my parking spot and now they're mad because they didn't get the undivided attention of the pastor when they exactly that moment when they wanted it because there, there was so much going on or whatever they're offended now they're out of church listen i want to be called chosen and i want to be faithful meaning that where god puts me i'm going to get down some roots there and i'm going to be faithful come hell or high water come jezebel spirits or judas's satanic attack principalities evil men whatever it is i'm going to get roots where i am and ain't nobody moving me but god that's faithfulness you got we've got to be faithful with what we're called to do and i believe that's a big deal to god he's called us to do something he's put that responsibility on us that we're going to be called we're going to be chosen but we're also going to remain faithful till he comes all right the next thing i want to talk about so let me just recap it's the intimacy with god the extra oil the wedding garments keeping those garments clean the next thing is is the armor of god revelation two through three over and over when it, when christ was talking to the church you hear him say this phrase to him who overcomes 
To him who overcomes, I will grant this. Over and over and over. Did you know that every one of us in Christianity can sit around if we want to and we can have a pity party? Why? Because we have some things we've got to overcome. All of us have been wounded in life. All of us have had things happen to us. All of us have had things that we've had to be delivered of. You know, we, we've had to learn how to walk in victory over things. But the truth of the matter is, you know what the Lord's looking for? He's looking for overcomers. He's looking for a group of people that says, Lord, I know that I'm imperfect and I know I've had a lot to overcome, but by your grace, I'm going to overcome. These things are going to be under my feet and I'm going to walk in victory over them because your grace is sufficient and you're going to give me the victory. And he's going to, and people that will press in and say, I don't care how hard it is. I, by the grace of God, am going to be an overcomer. All right, so with that said, there's going to be spiritual warfare. Listen, the spiritual warfare has always been there, and it's always been serious, okay? But I believe in the last days that we're living, spiritual warfare is really going to be serious. This is Satan's last, you know, bid. He knows his time is short, and it's going to be intense. And so when I share this about the armor here, this is something to take notes and to fold up and put in your Bible and pray about this every day and take what I'm saying really serious because I don't want people to get hurt. And this, there's going to be some intense spiritual warfare in these last days. So we all know the scriptures in Ephesians 5, which talks, or Ephesians 6, which talks about the armor of God, but I'm going to go beyond just that armament. There's more to it, okay? Number one, we need to cleanse and seal off our home. I want my home to be a place where whenever I'm out, you know, somewhere at Walmart or whatever, and I come home, you can walk in and feel the presence of God. It needs to be a refuge. It needs to be a place where it's easy to pray, okay? Some homes, it's easy to fight. Some homes, it's hard to pray. It's heavy. But I want my home to be clean, and I want the presence of God there. That's number one. That's, I'm talking about the defensive aspect that, um, that we are sealed off in our properties. If we're secret place dwellers, if we're prayer warriors, there's a promise that we can live under the shadow of the Lord's wings. The Lord will be our shield and buckler. There is something about people of prayer, people that are secret place dwellers, that abide under the shadow of the Almighty, under his wings. Now, when you see the wings there, it makes me think of angelic protection, but whatever that means, that there is some kind of a covering from the Lord for those that are secret place dwellers, okay? So, the helmet of salvation. You guys have heard that phrase. This, this is literal. I can make jokes about it. You guys ever watch football and then somebody streaks? Okay, they've got like a stocking cap on, but yet they're naked and maybe some tennis shoes, right? And they go running through the field. Well, the truth of the matter is we can laugh about it, but in reality, most Christians out there do not have their spiritual garments and they wonder why things are so difficult because it's very hard for them at times to overcome and it's because they don't have the protection in these days that we're living this helmet of salvation is something to put on every day and understand that with the helmet of salvation over your mind there is a grace everybody hear me there is a help from God a grace to help us renew our minds and to not be psychologically damaged did you know that there's people that are mistreated so bad 
that they psychologically are damaged. They, they feel worthless. They, they have disorders and things. There is something that can come over our minds as Christians now that can help protect us from these attacks against our minds. And it is going to be extremely important in these days that we're living that we take the time every day to make sure that helmet is over our minds to protect them. Some of you guys have to go to an ungodly place like school or work and it's not a Christian environment. You need to put on your helmet before you get there. It helps your mind to be renewed. It helps things to be solidified by the power of God over your thought processes. The next thing is the breastplate of righteousness, but 1 Thessalonians 5.8 also mentions a breastplate of faith and love. So here's, here's this part. All of us emotionally, our hearts, Satan would love for people to have broken hearts, to be emotionally wounded. And then it's a matter of God healing us from a broken heart. But God will do it. But how much easier will it be once God heals our broken hearts that every day we're putting on that breastplate over our chest area that helps protect our hearts where there's a grace over your heart where it's not going to be broken. And when the devil tries to shoot darts at it, it's hitting that breastplate and falling to the ground. I don't believe God is wanting us in these last days to, to have to um, deal with one broken heart after the next broken heart after the next broken heart. I believe that there is a grace. All of us go through difficulties and all of us may have to have a healthy mourning. You, lo you lose a loved one or something and, and there's a healthy weeping and mourning that goes there. But I'm talking about being broken. It's not God's will that people have a broken heart. The reason Jesus came, the Bible says, was to bind up and heal the brokenhearted. So as Christians, the Lord's going to heal any broken place, but he's wanting some kind of a breastplate over our chest to protect our emotions. And it is important in the day that we live that we take the time to put this breastplate on. Guard your heart. What does the Bible say? Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of your heart flows the issues of life. The pure in heart will see God. It's a heart that's able to stay pure and not have bitterness there. All right, faith and love. We need to know that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. You need to get that settled within your heart that you are the righteousness of God. How many times does Satan come as an accuser and try to make us feel worthless and that we're horrible and that we're sinners and things? You're going to have to rebuke that stuff. I bind you. Get out of here. The Bible says that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm not listening to that filth. Out he goes. But that's the breastplate of righteousness that you know that you are righteous. No matter what the devil tries to accuse you, you have it settled in your heart that you're righteous. That's that breastplate of righteousness. And also faith and love that we're able to walk in forgiveness and love. The belt of truth. You need to take time to put that belt on every day. The belt of truth is a grace to know God's word and be established in his word and established in truth. We need to be walking in the truth. 
from what I understand about that time, the belt of truth, actually everything kind of connected to that belt of, you know, the Roman soldiers. That belt of truth is a grace to walk in the word of God, to know, to be established in sound doctrine and truth. But look at this. It also says to have your loins girt about with righteousness and faith. You know what that is? There is some kind of a garment that comes over that area and there's a grace for sexual purity. I believe it's the prophet Jeremiah. God asked some of these prophets to do some strange stuff. You guys need to go back and read it in the Old Testament. If those people did that nowadays, they call them false prophets. I believe it was Jeremiah. God told him to go bury his white underwear, yeah, and go dig it up later. But it was a, it was a sign. God told him to do it. It was a sign about sexual pollution. But <laughs> that's in the Bible. Anyway. There's a garment that can come over your midsection and keep you a grace for sexual purity. How many of you guys know that we're living in a time when there's garbage everywhere, everywhere, and we need a grace to have something over our minds and over our sexuality from God to keep us pure, amen? If you'll pray about this, if you'll fold this up, put it in your Bible and make this a matter of something you, you add into your prayer life every day, eventually you'll get it all memorized, you know, but I'm telling you, this will revolutionize your life. You'll feel when you come out of your prayer time praying over this stuff, over, you'll feel strengthened. You'll go through your day and you'll notice today was easier than yesterday. There's something, there's a grace on me. All right. The next one is the gospel shoes of peace. We've got to walk through this world. We live behind enemy lines. And the Bible promises us in Romans 16, 20, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So there is some kind of these boots, like a warfare, um, that go over your, some kind of an armament that goes over your daily walk before God. It goes over your feet. That will help you crush Satan under your feet. But it's interesting that it has to do with peace. Why? Because one of the greatest things Satan tries to do is cause division and strife and fighting. In those areas, you get a church that all they do is sit around and fight and bicker and strife. You know what? There's, there is an open door and there are demonic spirits trafficking in and out of that church. Why? Because of all the fighting that's going on, the strife, the things they're speaking over one another. But if you get a group of people that have put on their shoes of peace and they come in and say, we're not fighting, and they start calming everything down and bring peace into the situation, those are the very people that will crush Satan under their feet and drive that stuff out. We need to be a group of people, like the Bible says, that a soft answer turns away wrath. What does the Bible say? It says that those that are peacemakers will be sons of God. Sons has to do with authority. Those that learn how to walk in peace, sow peace, and calm things down around them. They can go into a room where there's fighting and they can help calm everything down. Those are peacemakers. Those are the type of people that are called sons of God. They have authority and they can crush the devil under their feet. So what am I saying? 
If you'll put on these shoes of peace, these things are literal. I know that you can't see them with your eyes, but angels see them, demons see them, and they're real. You can walk in peace, and you can go into situations, and you can be somebody that helps to crush the devil under your feet and drive him out. So the Bible says, speak the truth in love, and be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Married couples, don't ever allow to yourself to go to sleep fighting. I'm telling you, you will regret it. Deal with stuff. Stay up, talk about it, get to the place where you can at least pray and get everything under the blood, forgive one another, and don't go to bed with unresolved issues of unforgiveness and fighting in your home. Proverbs 25, 28 says, like a city whose walls have been broken down is a person who lacks self-control. How many people, they have walls around their life, but because they don't have self-control, they lose their temper, they blow up in a rage, and what happens? Spiritual walls come down around them and the enemy comes in through those doors. But I believe if we'll take the time every day to pray, Lord, let these shoes of peace come on me. Give me the grace today to walk in your peace, to have a soft answer that turns away wrath, that if people try to stir things up, I'm going to be somebody that calms things back down and that the God of peace is going to crush the devil under my feet. I'm not going to live behind broken down walls. I'm going to walk in self-control in Jesus' name and pray about it. Amen? This is one of those amen or oh me, right? Uh, the next one is the shield of faith. Our shield needs to be thick enough and big enough to cover us and our families and all that we have. All right, this shield of faith is real and it's serious. The devil really does try to shoot these fiery darts in the spirit realm against people and there needs to be a shield up to block these darts. And it has to do with faith. And pray, God, help me today to have that shield of faith up for me and my family. Help, Lord, give us the grace that that shield is thick and strong. Help me to walk in faith today in Jesus' name. And I'm telling you, he'll help you. There's a grace. So what about the offensive weapons, the sword of the Spirit? To quote the Word of God, what did Jesus do when the devil said, hey, why don't you turn the stone to bread? He said, no. He said, look, it is written Man shall not live by bread alone. But listen, he spoke the word of God. How did he respond to the devil? He didn't carry on a conversation, cross his legs and say, hey, let's talk about this idea about the bread and why it's a bad idea. He didn't do that. He simply said, no, out. And he rebuked him and he quoted the word of God against him. That right there has gotten a lot of people in trouble because they want to sit there and kind of split hairs and argue with the devil. Just quote the word of God against him. Amen? The next one is the spirit of the Lord. I believe this has to do with praise and worship. I've heard many times of people that were going through warfare or whatever and they were going through difficult times and they would praise and worship God. They would just keep praising God and worshiping him. And they said that their praise brought some kind of a breakthrough in the spirit realm and they knew they had that inner witness like it's done I've got the victory okay praise I believe when we come in here tonight and we all praise and worship like this there's some kind of a spear that is launched against the devil's camp in modern day we would call it a missile there's some kind of a missile that's launched against the enemy the rod of authority 
that we rise up in our authority. Too many Christians put up with too much stuff. They're afraid of the devil. They tolerate things. It's time that people understand that Jesus has paid for us to have victory over the devil. And when they feel something's going on that's not right, they rise up in their authority and they say, in the name of Jesus, I bind you, devil, and I command you to get out of my house, to get away from my family, in the name of Jesus, out. And quote the word. It's written, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee you. Quote the word of God. Out they go, because why? Angels will back you up when you start acting like that. But too many Christians want to sit around and, well, I don't understand why all this is going on, and, and they just want to take it. It's like somebody that's boxing, and they're just up against the ropes, and they're just in there keep getting hit. It's time to hit back. It's time to go on the offensive and say, I'm not putting up with this anymore. You're getting out of here in Jesus' name. Rise up in your authority that's invested in you. And there's a special grace for those that have faced of Jezebel's spirit and overcome that spirit. My God, help us. That is an intense thing right there. But anyway, when you overcome that thing, there's a promise that you can rule with a rod of iron. So some of you that have faced that spirit and you've overcome it, take this to heart. God knew how bad that would be. And he said, you know what? For those that had to deal with that, I'm going to give you the grace to rule with a rod of iron. And you're going to have widespread authority over princes and powers to dash the nations to pieces. And he said, I will give you the morning star, which is where you're enveloped with God's favor. Amen. We receive it, Lord. The battle axe of the anointing. Did you know that there is a battle axe? There is. <laughs> no husbands make a joke there. We'll be praying for people on the altar. His wives smack him in the back of the head, right? But anyway, there's a battle axe. You know what the axe is? It's a fresh anointing. You know what one of the things the devil fears the most in Christians is a, a powerful anointing. That we can walk in an anointing to destroy the devil's kingdom. Jesus said, greater works will you do. That's an awesome statement. But listen, God has anointed us to go forth in the power of God and to pray for the sick and see them recover, to cast out devils, to destroy the devil's kingdom. So that, that battle axe of the anointing, that fresh anointing on our lives helps us to lay the axe to the root of a problem. The next one is angelic assistance. All of us need God to send forth his angels and deliver us, amen? If Jesus needed angelic ministry after what he went through in the, in the desert, we do too. Here's some coverings. It's vitally important, 1 Corinthians 11:10. It says, therefore, the woman, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. It's vitally important that people come under authority. There's a covering, there's a spiritual covering when a wife and children are underneath their, the husband's authority. There's a covering when people are in church like they should be, and there's, and there's a covering from that church over them and their family. There's a spiritual covering. There's a sign of authority. There's a mark there that protects them. That's the covering of a headship. But let me get down to these last couple ones if you look under that. There's a garment of vengeance. Isaiah 59, 17 talks about a garment of vengeance. You know what that is? When you and I are going to walk in forgiveness and we're going to walk in righteousness and we're going to be right with God. Did you know that God says, I will be an enemy to your enemies? Vengeance is, is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. 
that's where you've determined in yourself, Lord, clothe me with your vengeance because I am going to just forgive people and I'm going to live righteous and I'm going to do right. No matter what happens, I'm going to keep a right spirit about me. And God says, those people, I will be an enemy to their enemies. And then there's a clothing of zeal. Isaiah 59, 17 as well. Listen, this is important. There is an envelopment of a garment of zeal that we have the grace to stay on fire for God. How many people lose the fire? They lose their passion. They lose their hunger. And then finally, the only other one I'll really talk about is the garment of light, the armor of light. But the glory of God can envelop us and we can walk in his glory around us, protecting us as an armor of light. But see, these are things that are available to us, but most people are not praying about them like they could and they should be. And if they would, they would notice a difference in their life. So I'm preaching tonight to help people be ready for the coming of the Lord, but this is the area that's gonna protect you from the attack of the devil that's trying to put out your fire, that's trying to knock you off course, that's trying to get you offended and trying to get you out of the will of God. As I was talking about earlier, when people get offended and get out of church and everything, what they gotta understand is as they go out the door, God just brings new people right behind them. As they take their finances and get mad and leave, God just brings other people to tithe. So really, in the end, the only person that actually is hurt in that scenario, they're hurting themselves because now they're out of the will of God. And the very house that was supposed to be such a blessing to them now they've cut themselves off from it. They've estranged themselves from it. All right, the last couple things, the incredible importance of prayer. Jesus said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know why a lot of people are not walking in victory? Because they're not praying like they should. Matthew 25, 13, therefore keep watch. This has to do with prayer because you do not know the day nor the hour. So there is Isaiah 52, 1, awake, awake. That has to do with prayer. Wake up and pray don't fall asleep wake up clothe yourself in strength people say how can i be strong in the lord you pray it's not that we're strong per se but our prayer lives as we spend time with him he makes us strong in him it's his grace but we have to spend time with him and as we pray we're clothing ourselves with strength oh zion it says clothe yourself with beautiful garments What's that referring to? The priestly garments, the wedding garments. That as we pray, we are literally being clothed with strength and with the priestly wedding garments and we're being purified and made ready for his coming. It's coming out of your prayer life. This is something that nobody can do for you. I believe with all my heart studying the scriptures that those that are gonna be ready for the coming of the Lord and to be caught away as a bride are those that know him or intimate with him and spending time with him that's really going to be the determining factor because those that are intimate with the Lord, they have extra oil. Those that are intimate with the Lord, they have the wedding garments on. Those that are intimate with the Lord, they're the ones that are keeping themselves pure and they're, they've got that armament. They're walking in victory. They're overcomers, but it's out of their prayer life. <clears throat> so people say, well, how do I pray? I'm just going to read over these last couple things. I need to close this out. Luke 11, 1. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, he had finished, and one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, so let me walk you through this real quick. You ready? Take notes here. Number one, he said, our Father, 
The reason we're children of God is because of the blood of Jesus, and that means that we come through the blood. That's why we take communion at the beginning of church services here. Why? Because we're taking time to forgive anybody we need to, to confess anything we need to confess, and get washed and covered in the blood so the blood of Jesus will take us right into God's presence. But it's the blood. It's the blood washing and covering you that gets you into the glory, into the Holy of Holies. So number one, come through the blood. If you ignore that part, you're going to find yourself very frustrated because you can't dance high enough. Trust, you can't shout loud enough. You can't quote scripture hard enough. The only thing that's going to get you in the manifest presence of God is the blood. Number two is hallowed be your name. That's worship. So after you come through the blood, worship him. It's like we did tonight. What? We take communion, then we worship. The praise and the worship time as you're worshiping in the spirit and thanking him. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. Thank him for what he's done. Worship him. Man, his presence will start coming. Let me say a side note. Get to know the Holy Spirit. He's a person. Okay, get to know him. The next thing, Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's prayer and intercession right there. That you're now beginning to put on your priestly garments and you've got that breast piece over your heart because you have a burden for other people and you're gonna to begin to pray for your loved ones. You're gonna to begin to pray for your family. You're gonna to begin to pray for your nation and you're, you're praying and you're flowing in and out of intercession. Some of you intercessors, the travail comes and you're moving in prayer and intercession right there. Then as that subsides, Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. You pray specifically for the needs of your household. If you need $100, pray specifically for that. Too many people pray too generic or they think, well, God will just do it. That's not always the way it works. The Lord said, ask and you'll receive, okay? Pray and pray specific and you'll get a specific answer. Then Jesus said, forgive us our sins as we forgive others that sinned against us. You need to really check yourself for unforgiveness. That is the one thing that can really destroy a prayer life right there is harboring unforgiveness. The Bible says to bless those that curse you. Y'all know how hard that is. How many of you guys have had somebody that really done you wrong and you got to stand there? Lord, I bless them in Jesus' name. And man, you're, you, don't feel, you don't feel it at all, right? You don't, there's no, you don't feel no unction, but you're like, I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. I bless you in Jesus' name and you pray for them. Pretty soon as you obey the Bible and keep doing that, you're going to keep a right spirit about you. God will heal you, but it'll change. And eventually you'll start feeling a burden for them and your prayers will actually be sincere. But nonetheless, we're going to keep ourselves pure. There's not going to be any unforgiveness. The next thing Jesus said, lead us not into temptation. Remember Peter? Jesus said, Peter, Satan wants to sift you, but I've prayed that God um, not let your faith fail. Listen. This has to do, God doesn't tempt people. That's not the best translation. It's testings and trials. Remember how Peter, man, he really went through it. He was sifted. He denied Christ. You know, he lost his faith. But, but he was sifted. But in the end, Jesus' prayer was answered because his faith did not fail. He was restored in the end. But what Jesus is saying here is that pray that you won't enter into these testings and trials. Okay, there are certain things that's God's perfect will and we're just going to go through them. But there's a lot of things that are not God's perfect will that can be avoided. That's what Jesus is talking about there. And then the last thing is this, deliver us from the evil one. I always quote Psalm 91. I encourage you to memorize that. But that is a powerful scripture. Psalm 91, that God would deliver us from the evil one, from satanic attack. 
that would try to come. He would deliver us and protect us. And then how do you, how do you start it? You come through the blood and you worship. And how do you end it? You end it by praise and worship. Lord, for yours is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. You thank him. You praise him. I thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering these prayers. I bless you, and I worship you. And you begin and end it with worship. That is an effective prayer life. Jesus taught us. And the same patterns in the tabernacle that you can see, the same exact pattern pretty much. So here's the last couple things. A deep consecration unto God. Just because you're saved does not mean you're deeply consecrated unto God. I think most of y'all have enough sense to know that. Amen? I, I'm going to tell you, once I got saved, it was like, look, I may have gotten saved, but there's still a lot of stuff God's got to do. So the deep consecration unto God is where the Lord is taking us beyond just a salvation experience, and he's really getting down in there and cleaning out all that pollution. He's healing all that damage. He's delivering you from all that junk. And he's really purifying your life. And there are three things in scripture that God uses to purify his people. When you read the Bible in the Old Testament, the priesthood, they were consecrated unto God by the blood of a sacrifice, by the immersion in water, and then by the anointing with oil. Those three things. That's what Moses took Aaron as a priest and did that to consecrate him as a priest. The same pattern is for us today. It says in 1 John, it talks about these three testify, the blood, the water, the spirit. Same thing. So God uses, number one, the communion table, number two, the waters of immersion, and number three, the anointing. I'm just going to read over this, okay? But when the Lord had Moses make the tabernacle, the very first thing that he set up when it was done was the ark, and then he backed out and set up the table of showbread, the communion table. Why? because that right there showed that that communion table was connected with that glory realm. Did everybody see that? That communion table. So when we talk about Holy Communion, listen, the word to know in scripture, if you guys can catch this as I close this out, try not to miss this point because it really changed your life. The Bible says in Hebrew, in the Hebrew, that Adam knew Eve and then she had, you know, Cain and Abel, but he knew her. The word no there is sexual intimacy. Okay, we know that. Did you know, though, in Proverbs when it says that, you know, if you acknowledge the Lord in all your ways, he'll direct your paths. Did you know the Hebrew word acknowledge? We translate it acknowledge. Did you know it's the same exact Hebrew word as Adam knew Eve? It's not sexual, but what it means is intimacy. If you're intimate with the Lord, he will direct your paths. Same thing in the New Testament. There's a Greek word koinonia, which means intimacy. It would be used in a human term between a husband and wife in sexual relations. Why? Because that is as close as two people can be. I mean, that's as intimately close as, as two people are going to get. And the Lord is saying he doesn't want anything sexual there, but what he's saying is, is I want to be that close in intimacy in relationship, though. I want you to be that close to me. There's no... there's there's nothing hidden. There's an openness. There's an honesty. And that's the whole thing about the communion table. The table of showbread in the tabernacle is a face-to-face -face encounter with God. That, that's the, the most powerful thing. That table of showbread 
the word bread there is translated in the Hebrew bread of face, the face of God. In Hebrew, the panavileka, those that know. So it's like the face of God, the shining of his face, that you're face to face with him. There's an intimacy. And I believe it begins at the communion table as, as things are cleared away. But Jesus said that in Matthew 7, 21, it was concerning because he said, all these people came to him and said, Lord, Lord, they called him Lord. And they said, we did all these things in your name. And he said, depart from me, threw him into hell. He said, depart from me, I never knew you. And then he said, you practice lawlessness, meaning you lived in unrepentant sin. But he said, I never knew you. The word know there is koinonia, it's intimacy. The Lord is wanting people that will spend time with him. That they're not just religious. They want a relationship. And they want a relationship enough that whatever's hindering that relationship, I'm willing to get rid of it because I want that relationship enough. And let me just read some things about the communion table because I believe the communion table is really going to help people be ready for the coming of the Lord. And you'll see what I mean right here. In the Bible, in 1 Corinthians 7, 14, there's a principle that if there's, say, a Christian spouse and they're married to an unbeliever. So let's say both of them got married and then later in life one of them became a Christian. There's a promise there that the saved spouse will consecrate the unsaved one and the children. So there's a principle there that the righteous will have an effect on the unrighteous. Let me put it this way. When we take communion with Jesus and we're taking what represents his body and blood, if you can catch this, we're taking what represents his body and blood and we're putting it into our body and blood. The two become one and he being the righteous is consecrating his bride. There is a powerful consecration that is happening in God's people at the communion table. And this right here was a point of division among Christ's disciples in John chapter 6. And I believe to this day, I believe with every fiber of my being, that's why some people don't stick around River of Life because the communion table brings a sword down and divides. And some people aren't willing to live right. And out they go. Listen, here it is. The Bible shows us in John 6 that Jesus told his, all these people were following him. And he told them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Now, we know under Jewish law, you can't have cannibalism. But if these people would have just stayed with Jesus instead of getting offended and leaving, if they would have just stayed with him, it wasn't that much later till Jesus had that Passover Seder meal, the ceremonial meal with his disciples, and he held up the bread, the afikome bread, remember, in that third cup, and he showed them this is what I was really talking about, and they understood he wasn't talking about eating his literal flesh and blood. He was talking about the power of the elements as we partake of it. But notice that it divided those who were fair-weather disciples apart from those that were willing to stay with him no matter what. I believe communion does that. The Bible gives us a principle here. Now look at this point where it starts on consecration. I want you to read over this with me, okay? 
Here's what happens at the communion table. Number one, there's a consecration. The Old Testament priest would sacrifice animals on the altar and they ate of that sacrifice. And when they did, the Bible says everything that that sacrifice touched became holy. If the Old Testament priest were made holy by the animal sacrifice, how much more does it affect us today when we have the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who took away the sins of the world, the fulfillment of all of it, they only had a shadow and type. We have the reality. Number two, the yeast is purged out. That has a reference to Passover about getting the yeast out. But it's a, I believe it speaks of how God uses communion to help purge out of our lives things that need to go. Number three, it's called the cup of blessing. Did you know there's certain things that can bring a curse? Like, for example, somebody goes to a witch and has her give you know them their fortune or whatever they don't realize it but they're defiling themselves by doing that and they're bringing a curse on themselves okay all right think about it for a minute the bible says when you partake of holy communion and you're doing it the right way that you're actually drinking a blessing on yourself isn't that something the next one is a flow of healing first peter 2 24 it says by his stripes you were healed Many people are healed at the communion table because they're chewing on that bread and they remember by his stripes I was healed 2,000 years ago. And I receive that healing now. It's a point of contact, but healing surges through them. Number, the next one is deliverance, Galatians 3.13. The Bible says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. He redeemed us so the blessings given to Abraham come on us. And so we know that Jesus paid for our deliverance. You guys remember at the Passover ceremonial meal where we did like the living supper, we, we acted out what Jesus actually did. Do you remember how you took from that, that cup of deliverance and you would do like this and drop some of it on a napkin and it was all these little drops of what looked like drops of blood? Remember that? That's exactly what it would have looked like at the foot of the cross. The drops of his blood at the foot of the cross and you're partaking of the cup called the deliverance cup. It's his blood that delivers us from the power of the devil. The next one is to go past the veil. Jesus, when he died, the veil was ripped. But how many of you guys know you can't just walk casually into God's presence like nothing. There's some kind of a veil within us. I believe it's the flesh that we've got to get past our own flesh to really get into his presence, that deep calling unto deep, you know. But I believe that the communion table helps us somehow that what represents his body and blood goes into our body and blood. Somehow there's a ripping of the veil and it's easier to get into his presence. And there's a pattern too because in the tabernacle, the priest had to sacrifice an animal before he could go into the Holy of Holies. So that represents the communion. All right, David's mighty men, they needed strength for the battle and they went to the priest who didn't have any other bread except the consecrated bread at the table of showbread, which represents communion. And he allowed David and his mighty men to eat of that consecrated bread. You know what communion does? It helps give us strength for the battle. Revelation, Jesus was walking with his disciples on the road to Emmaus. They did not know who he was. He began to talk to them. Remember the story? They said our hearts burned within them. But whenever they sat at the table, they were sitting at the table with the Lord. This is what I'm saying. 
God uses a, a, the mystery of Christ and the bride. God uses a husband and wife and that intimacy there to try to help us understand that there is some kind of a close relationship face to face that we can have but anyway the disciples were there with jesus they didn't recognize him but he held up that consecrated bread it was during the passover the unleavened bread time he held up that matzo bread broke it and when he did their eyes were opened and they saw him there's something about revelation that happens at the communion table protection the blood on the doorpost of our lives and also the bible says that job killed an animal for his family regularly he shed blood and satan himself i want you to think about this not some little imp demon okay not a little troll demon running in there all right this was satan himself came before god and said i can't get through to job because you've put a hedge about him and his family and all that he owns i can't get to him and satan recognized that there was a hedge why was the hedge there because he put blood over his family on a regular basis Listen, the blood of Jesus brings protection. That's why the children of Israel were told, put that blood, they took that hyssop like a paintbrush, put the blood of that lamb on the, on the doorpost of your home. And then one lamb per household. So at the Passover, the first Passover, they had one lamb, but it covered the entire family. There was a lady that told this story. I heard Bill Johnson tell it. She said that she was praying. She had a son that was very rebellious he got mixed up in the occult he got mixed up in sexual sin they were totally estranged from one another he pretty much hated her guts she was really burdened for him and she was praying and the lord spoke to her that phrase one lamb per household and showed her if you'll take communion i'll i'll release this to your son so she on behalf of her family she took the lord's supper and she believed for her whole, whole her whole family to be affected one lamb per household and even though her son hadn't been around for a long time out of nowhere he calls her after that he's crying he asked her forgiveness and then he gave his life to christ and their relationship was healed the power of the devil was broken when she took communion on behalf of her family that's why you hear me a lot of times when we take communion here i tell people i need to mention it more but i want people sitting together as family units and i'll tell people by faith we're burying the body and blood into every area of our lives i mean that you're, you're affecting family that are not here right now. And here's the last warning about the communion table. Revelation 2.4 says, he talked about something, he said, you forsook your first love. And he threatened them to remove their lampstand. This is a picture of the tabernacle. If you read it in the Greek, it's interesting because it says about your first love, it says your supreme love feast that has to mean holy communion that's what it's referring to it's the table of showbread and the lord said because you've neglected that you forsook your first love you got away from the communion table he said i'm going i'm threatening to remove your lampstand anybody knows anything about the tabernacle you know the lampstand is right on the you know right across from the table of showbread the lampstand represents the anointing and the awesome power and the the move of the holy spirit in our midst and it also represents their status as a church in the eyes of God. But nonetheless, that anointing, that revelation, that power can be lost. I was just reading a book. You guys remember the Smithton revival? 
remember seeing, I showed a video about it and that Pastor Gray and his wife and how, how he was just so depressed before revival came. Remember that? And he went to Brownsville. He's like this, walked in there, you know, and just didn't even want to be there. He's just, and God really visited his life. But he was saying, I was, I just read his book. So I'm kind of inspired by this story. He was saying that before revival broke out in Smithton, he said that he, God had laid on his heart that they needed to have a corporate mindset that they needed to not just have a few people over here doing stuff and then other people not. He said, look, we all need to be taking the Lord's Supper together. We all need to be um, worshiping together. We all need to be praying for revival together in unity. We all need to be tithing and doing right, not robbing God. He said, we all need to be coming together as one body in unity. And you know what? He said he believes that that's why revival came because they all came together isn't that powerful? But I believe that there is something about the sitting in the notes, but I believe that there's something about becoming one. When we take communion, remember what represents his body and blood, we become one with him. I believe when we're all doing that together, we're becoming one with him, but there's something about unity that happens because we're all becoming one with him together. And there's something in the spirit realm that unifies that is really going to hinder the devil that's wanting to bring division. It's like that unity realm is all brought under the blood of Jesus. We're unified under his blood together. But I don't want the lampstand removed. I don't want the fresh anointing and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The last couple things, I got in this water baptism. It's, listen, the, the church, I, I really need to spend more time. I'll do another sermon on this, okay, before we have corporate baptism. But the church world and the Western Gentile church mentality of water baptism is not biblical. They don't have an understanding of what it is. They've relegated it to a dead religious ritual and they don't understand the power of it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this is really all I can say about it for time's sake, but it says the children of Israel were baptized into Moses through the Red Sea. That was their water baptism. And then it says, if you read the story, they were baptized into Moses through the Red Sea. That same water that baptized them shut behind them. What did it do? It destroyed their enemies. And it also formed a barrier of water between them and their past. I wish people would understand that the power of water baptism is this. You accept Christ as your Savior. You can go to heaven without it. But the quality of your life will not be the same. It, you will not be able without water baptism to really walk in the fullness and once people get water baptized, it helps to break the power of the enemy off their life. And it helps to separate them from their past. And it's not a once in a lifetime thing at all. That's totally unbiblical. That is something that people made up and it's a pet doctrine. They think, well, when you accept Christ, you just need to get baptized and that's the end of the matter. If you read the Bible, the early church, <clears throat> their Hebrew roots, they were getting immersed in water every time there was a feast day. So that was you know, several times a year. And even to this day, devout Jews will immerse every week at Sabbath. I'm just saying, look, the church has lost this. And the last time we had an immersion, we had a water baptism service. Most people wanted to participate and came. And I said, look, if you want to get immersed, we'll baptize everybody. Pretty much every single person told me I felt different after that baptism. And there was two or three people that were actually delivered of things in the baptismal pool. They, it broke and things left them. Okay, these are people that's already been baptized. 
but there's there's this is what i'm trying to say the lord is coming for a bride that is making herself ready that is deeply consecrating herself unto god and even to this day you look at the the jewish hebrew roots when a bride goes to get married she will immerse in water it's called a mikveh mikveh she immerses in water leaving the old and coming into that new marriage i believe with all my heart that's prophetic the lord is cleansing his bride and getting us ready for his coming and the last thing was the anointing with oil exodus 29 the the priests were anointed in james 5 14 mark 6 13 there's references but the anointing when i go through and i pray for people i try to anoint people with oil the anointing with oil is so powerful it helps to consecrate us as holy unto god and that's why there's healing that's why there's deliverance because we take the time to anoint people with oil it's a powerful thing so in your home you can go through your home and you can anoint your home with oil and you can set that home apart as holy unto god did everybody catch all that so we're not talking about just accepting christ as our savior now we're saying lord i want to be ready when you come i want to be deeply consecrated unto god so how do we get that deep consecration the bible shows us that it's through blood it's through water it's through the anointing all right here's the last thing behold the bridegroom comes so here's the question are you being faithful to your bridegroom or are you playing the harlot are you out getting drunk partying sleeping around because when the lord comes he's not coming for that he's coming for a bride that's made herself ready paul prayed i want to know him the power of his resurrection the fellowship of his suffering but he said i want to know him the word know is intimacy second corinthians six seventeen says come out from among them and be holy god is calling us out and the warning in the bible in revelation 3 14 through 22 the warning for the laodicean church which i believe prophetically speaks of the last day church don't get lukewarm don't let the fire go down you know when they built the tabernacle and they had to build that offering where they burnt the animals they they put wood there god lit the fire originally they stood back and god sent like a lightning bolt lit the fire but God told the priest, okay, I'll light the fire, but it's your job to keep that fire burning and don't ever let it go out. They couldn't let it go out. Every day, they had to have shifts of people coming in that would take out the ashes and put more wood and keep that fire going. It's the same thing with us today. We've got to keep the spiritual fire burning in our lives and stay faithful where you are and planted and grow. You know, it's like brother zach talk about the smooth stones remember the stones in the river david used to kill goliath they bumped up against each other and knocked the rough edges off that's what god does we're in church and everybody's bumping up against each other ow you hit my rough edge ow but you know what it's like knocking all that junk off people and what god is doing is he's he's using the local church to get all the junk out of his people so that he can make us giant killers you understand god wants to use us so anyway this is the last thing right here the jewish wedding this is what jesus was referring to when he gave the parable of the wise and foolish virgins here we go ready in um, the jewish culture in our hebrew roots this is how it would happen there'd be a jewish young man back let's say in jesus's day that would wait at the well and look for a beautiful wife okay he was looking among the virgins 
he would see somebody that caught his eye. It was a part of the young lady's choice to draw water, so that's where he would go. And once he found somebody that he wanted to marry, the young man would approach her father and offer a dowry for her. Jesus gave his life at the cross as a dowry for us to the father, okay? The young man would give what he could and then the father would set the price. The young man would then come to the house of the father where he would give the father the dowry. And look at this, there was a cup of wine that was poured and set on the table. This was their custom. If this young woman, this virgin, was willing, she agreed in her heart to this contract, she agreed that she would marry this young man, then she would drink of that cup of wine and set it down. That's a picture and type of Holy Communion right now. You understand what we're doing when we take communion? We're saying to the Lord, Lord, I accept you. I want to be a bride. I want to be ready when you come. I am setting myself apart for you. Then she would put a veil over her face and would stay faithful to her bridegroom. So when you went walking around the city and you saw a young woman, a virgin that had a veil, that was just like wearing an engagement ring. Everybody knew she's spoken for, leave her alone. That's how the Lord is seeing us today. He's saying, are you gonna be somebody that sets yourself apart as holy for me? You're gonna stay pure for me. You're not gonna be running around cheating on me. So the young man, which represents Jesus here, is excited and runs out to go prepare a dwelling place for them. This could take up to two years. And how many knows that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us, and it's been 2,000 years? The father would help guide the son's hands as he built that bridal chamber and made things ready. After the area was built and complete, the father would declare, it is time, go get your bride. It's actually a Jewish idiom that states that only the father knows the day or time because they were so familiar with this custom. And that's why Jesus said, only the father knows the day and the hour that I'm coming. He's gone to prepare a place for us, but there's gonna come a point in time when the father says, you're done, go get your bride. When it's time, the house was built Friends would run in front of the groom and they would shout, behold, the bridegroom comes. What did Jesus say? Paul said when he comes and he's coming to rapture his bride, there's going to be the shout of the archangel and there's going to be a loud shofar blast and the dead in Christ will rise first and those that are alive and remain caught up. But here's what the bride had to do. While she was waiting for her bridegroom, she had a lamp by her bed. She put oil in it every night. That's what Jesus is referring to here. The wise virgin had extra oil in the jar. So before going to sleep every night, she would make sure that the wick was trimmed, the lamp was ready, there was oil there, but there was also extra oil. Because what if he came at the second, or, or two, two in the morning, three in the morning, four in the morning, that lamp could have burned out, the oil could be gone. She needed extra oil there to be ready when he came. She was always kept on the second floor. And so a bridegroom would have to climb up a ladder and pull her out a window. And it's a picture and type of the doors of heaven opening and the Lord catching up his bride, pulling them through that, that window to the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And that's all I'm going to cover tonight. I could say more, but here's the thing. The Lord is looking for a people that has made themselves ready. And I want to pray for people tonight. We'll have a time here, but listen, those that want to be a bride made ready, let's go ahead, go ahead and shut down recordings. If you could just push...